Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I am Justin. And today we decided to bring you something a little bit different here. Uh, With the help of my girlfriend, Sadie, we decided that we would talk a little bit about Native American folklore. Now, we have talked about Native American folklore in the past, uh, but not quite as in-depth as we will today. Uh, We're just going to share quite a few stories. And of course, being uh, in a good Paratruth manner, we're going to share some monsters, cryptids that are also within uh, Native American myths and legends. Um, One thing I do want to, is kind of a small disclaimer, is that some of these stories that we share tonight are not necessarily completely accurate based on uh, the very different tribes that existed within America and continue to exist in America. Uh, What I mean by that is that there are some stories by the Cherokee, for example, that are also referenced by the Apache, but the story is different in that there are uh, either different characters or slightly different uh, plot to to how the story, the outcome of the story comes to be. Uh, But in the end, they all kind of share the same message. And we're going to tell you which stories those are, uh, you know, and how they differ. There's a couple that, I, that I'll mention, actually. Uh, it's actually kind of like Greek and Roman mythology. It, it was is. just whoever the dom- dominating tribe at the time. Right. Uh, you're right. And uh, the other thing I do want to mention here, too, is that some of these stories, or actually all these stories, are really just by word of mouth. Uh, most of them, anyway. There are some documented stories here uh, from actual uh, Native American tribes, but Native American tribes tend to find their stories or, or believe their stories to be very sacred and should only be passed down uh, to tribesmen and women uh, as opposed to shared with the rest of the world. So there right. are probably some stories here that are maybe slightly altered uh, from the original, and that would be the main reason why. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer out, let you guys know that. Uh, but as always, we're here to give you the most accurate representation of the facts as we can. Yep, absolutely. Um, it was hard, and I told you this off air, it was kind of hard to do some of this research to to do it generalized because it, right. um, unless you're not going specifically, like, for example, I concentrated on the crow or raven the wolf and the bear, because when I tried to generalize Native American mythology, it wasn't really pulling up anything that was of substance. And the only reason I brought up those three is because uh, just through doing research over the years, I've kind of learned that those are 
kind of three animals that are uh, pretty common and, and sacred. All animals are sacred, sacred in Native American folklore, but um, the bear, the crow, and the wolf kind of play a, a huge part in that. Um, I can't remember, but is the jackal one that they bring up quite often too? Uh, the jackal's mentioned occasionally. It's, it's obviously not as popular as prominent as Ra- okay. especially raven raven is one of the most popular seen as uh it, it is often related to being the creator of the world or the bringer of light uh depending on which tribe you're hearing the story from right so going through the the research that i found um i found some really interesting stuff about especially the raven specifically uh so i I guess I'll just start with that. Um, something that is kind of uncommon or uh, a misconception for the raven is a lot of people believe Native Americans think of it as a harbinger of death. And actually, it's the the alternative. It's on the contrary. Uh, crows are actually considered to be good luck uh, by many tribes. It is true that crows will eat carrion, uh, but, so, but so do many other animals that's why they're kind of thought of as being harbingers of death because they are uh scavengers in a sense they or or they attack and kill their prey um but uh other animals do that as well such as bald eagles bears wolves uh you name it in native american folklore the intelligence of crows is usually portrayed as their most important feature i do know that in some uh some stories, not all, but some, uh, the crow is kind of thought to be mischievous as well. Uh, not, like I said, just depend, as Eric said, depends on the tribe, but I have heard stories where the raven is more of a mischievous character. Uh, and some tribes, the crow is conflicted with the raven. Uh, there are two different types. A larger cousin of the crow that shares many of the same characteristics. In other tribes, crow and raven are distinct mythological creatures or characters. Uh, crows are also used as clan animals in some Native American cultures. Tribes with crow clans include the Chippewa, the Hopi, uh, the Menominee, the Cadu, the Tlingit, and the Pueblo. And I completely apologize if I butchered any of those. Um, but uh, in their god uh, uh, pantheon, there is the crow mother in the Hopi uh, traditions. Um, and there's so many different uh, stories. Um, there's the rainbow crow legend, how the crow came to be black, uh, the magic pots, when the animals left Lenape land. There's just so many of them. I really didn't get into detail in the different legends but i found it really interesting that uh and i didn't really delve into the raven i i picked the crow because they really are two different creatures um but it was just interesting that a lot of people think crows are a a omen of death or that's what they feel native americans think of it but they're really not yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on, uh, like you said, it really just depends on the various stories throughout our culture. See, see the raven, the raven and the crow as more of a 
like you said, it could be a trickster, it could be a creator, it could be uh, uh, a, a representation of luck and prosperity and things like that. Uh, the idea of Raven becoming more involved with like death and the afterlife became came around later and was especially uh, associated with various occult practices. Uh, and of course, Edgar Allan Poe probably really mm. put, put the nail in the coffin uh, with his story, Nevermore, in which the Raven played a pretty big part. Uh, interesting fact, by the way, really, just thought of it all of a sudden thinking about never more um ravens actually talk like parrots i didn't right. know that it's yep. the creepiest thing i've ever seen you don't expect a raven to talk and when they do it's really scary but it's cool i need yeah there's one on tiktok that talks and the crazes how are you and it's <laughs> it's so interesting to hear a raven say something specific right <laughs> But yeah, uh, the Raven is uh, apparently by uh, many uh, scientists believe that it's one of the more intelligent birds. Um, and that's I think that's kind of why the Native Americans hold both the Raven and the Crow because crows are intelligent, but Ravens are actually a, a lot more intelligent and are the ones that actually speak. Um I think that's why Native Americans hold them to such high esteem. Mm -hmm. So what's something you kind of came across for, for the different legends? Yeah. I mean, I too covered a, like a lot of the animals, of course, I, again, animals are by far the most uh, revered creatures in Native American culture. Uh, there's various aspects aspects to each one some of them are good some of them are bad some of them have kind of a dual personality they're a mix of both that would go along with raven for example who uh in one story which we'll get into i'm sure is when he's trying to bring light to the earth he decides to be mischievous and trick his way into grabbing the light but then shares the light with the world so that everyone can see uh so i thought that was really interesting um the other thing is uh, a lot of these stories, they just, there's so many similarities between them. And yet when you read through each one, they're vastly different, uh, but they still share the same overall, uh, what is it like the overall take of, of what the story represents or is meaning uh most here by the way the stories in native american culture are typically uh not just stories of how something came to be or uh why something exists but they often have morals attached to it and a lesson to be learned uh, so whenever you see certain stories like the story of two wolves for example uh is probably a good one or one of the uh the coyote and the colombian uh, or columbia uh, river and it's just this story these various stories that talk about two sides of the personality one good one bad or the idea of greed and how we need to be careful that we don't become too greedy in life because too much can be a problem uh so i, I thought that was all really interesting because that's not something you see in a lot of other uh texts you know when you think of roman mythology or greek mythology uh or anything like that, you know, even Viking mythology, there isn't a lot of lessons to be learned per se, except for the history behind what they believed. Uh, 
but a lot of these stories are very different. They're they're teachings more so than just mm. stories. Right. Well, I mean that that seems to be a common theme through a lot of uh, folklore and uh, even religion. A lot of the stories you find in the Bible are are uh, telling a history, but they're also they also have a, a meaning to them as well. Right. Uh, and then, of course, the other thing, which you know, being that we are Parajuth, there are monsters in these myths. Uh, and of course, we are not going to end the show without some monsters. So there are some very interesting monsters that I know you came across, I'm sure, and that I've come across yeah. that we haven't talked about in the past and didn't even know about. Uh, so I'm really excited to get into that. And, you know, some of these creatures are really quite frightening. You know, these are monsters that are supposed to uh, signify some sort of fear into the person who who's uh, hearing the stories behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are just... They're odd. So it'll be fun talking about those later on in the story or in the uh, show. But I think we should save those maybe for last uh, or for the second half and uh, start with some of these other folklore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, like I said, I really didn't look too much at the stories, but it was interesting to kind of read about the mythology of uh, a couple of these different animals because they, there are um, several for like the bear um, and bears are pr- prominently in myth- uh, in the mythology of nearly every native American tribe in most native cultures. Bear is considered a medicine being with impressive magical powers and the players uh, and plays a major role in many religious ceremonies Bears are symbols of strength and wisdom. Many Native Americans, uh, to many Native Americans, and are often associated with healing and and medicine. Um, among the Pueblo tribes, bears are considered one of the six directional guardians. Uh, the Zunis ascribe healing powers to the bears and carve stone bear uh, fetishes to protect them and bring them luck. A bear's claw was one of the talismans frequently included in medicine bundles, and warriors in some tribes wore necklaces of bear claws to bring them power and strength. Um, I, I think that's something that, <coughs> excuse me, um, you're going to kind of find common with all of these animals is uh, pretty much all animals in Native American folklore that I've seen anyways uh, are some type of totem or, or a representation of a human uh aspect so it's really interesting to go through this um in folklore uh bear is often portrayed either as sort of a enforcer figure who punishes disrespectful or improper behavior among other animals and people or as a humorless straight man for weaker but clever trickster characters to play against Bear personalities in these stories range from wise and noble to morally upright, but somewhat stupid and gullible, to aggressive and intimidating, uh, but in most cases they do not bother people who have not done anything wrong. So they're kind of a protector in in a sense. Um, and I, I know you'll probably remember this, but uh, the the I'm not sure if it was Disney that did Big Brother. Or brother bear, uh, brother bear. I'm sorry. Yeah, brother bear. I don't. Remember, I don't know. I I think so, but 
but I thought that was a good kind of representation of of Native American folklore and showing that uh, the bear is kind of more of a caring figure over a, a lot of people are afraid of bears. Um, right. But uh, no, some I of completely the, agree. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, some of the bear gods that came up in this research um, is, I hope I pronounce these correctly, uh, Ansicoco in Zuni, uh, Big Rump Bear, Mohican, Shawnee, Hairless Bear, uh, Penobscot Tribe, uh, Katsitawakwa from the Cree, uh, Hone Kachina from the Hopi, uh, Mashkuapin, the Bear Master from the Inu, Muwin from Micmac, Naked Bear from Iroquois, and Stiff-Legged Bear from Eastern Tribes. Um, and <clears throat> there's tons of legends here. Um, bear Medicine, Brother Bear Legend, which we just talked about, <clears throat> was kind of made into a cartoon. Um, the Badger and the Bear. Um, unfortunately, these, these links that I have here don't bring me to the actual st- stories or legends. Um, they kind of bring me to books. Um, okay. Well, but, I mean, uh, I I have one story actually here that uh, is actually how fire was created, or at least how man oh, got okay. hold of fire, uh, and it features bear in particular, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And this is a fun story. So, while there are many myths surrounding the beginnings of fire, uh, this one comes from the Cherokee tribe that used to exist in what is now Alabama. So. The legend says that Bear first had fire and carried it with him and his family wherever they went. One day in the forest, they found many delicious acorns on the ground. So Bear put the fire at the edge of the woods while they ate the acorns. They kept walking farther and farther away from fire until they could no longer hear fire calling out to them. A human walking by heard fire yell out, feed me, feed me. So the So he fed the fire sticks and twigs to revive it. When Bear returned, Fire was angry at him for leaving and chased him away with his bright light. Fire then belonged to man, and they were both very happy. That's interesting because kind of every mythology that that you look back on, uh, look at the, the Greek gods. There was a god that defied Zeus's uh, will and brought fire to humans um, a, a lot of other cultures as well so it's interesting because uh, kind of just like the the flood legend uh, mm-hmm. in, in all cultures and in, in all religions you see a flood uh, legend and catastrophe so it's interesting that you always kind of see this this play on who brought fire to, to humans All right, so the last one I looked up uh, is the wolf. And uh, just like the bear, the wolf is considered to be a medicine being associated with courage, strength, loyalty, and success at hunting. Uh, Wolves are also considered closely related to humans like bears. 
uh, by many North American tribes and the origin stories of some Northwest Coast tribes, such as the uh, Quiliti and the Kwakutl, uh, tell of their first ancestors being transform transformed from wolves into men. Uh, in Shonchon mythology, wolf plays the role of the noble creator god, uh, while in Anishinaabe mythology, uh, a wolf character is the brother and true best friend of the culture hero. Among the Pueblo tribes, wolves are considered one of the six directional guardians associated with the east and the color white. Uh, the Zuni Zunis carve stone wolf fetishes for protection, ascribing to them both healing and hunting powers. Uh, wolves are also the most common clan animals in Native American cultures. Tribes with wolf clans include the Creek, uh, the Cherokee, the Chippewa, <clears throat> the Algonquin tribes, uh, Shawnee, and Monomini, the Huron, the Iroquois, Plains tribes, uh, kind of a lot of all of them, Chickasaw. So it's <clears throat> a lot of these tribes had uh, brought together the the wolf culture in in Native American folklore, um, and a lot of uh, Eastern tribes have a wolf dance, uh, a tribal dance for for bringing about different things. Um, <clears throat> some of the wolf gods or spirits in Native American folklore is Chibiababas, Quio uh, Kachina, and that's from the Hopi. The, the Chibiabas is from Parawatami. Uh, Ma Malsum from Wabanaki tribes. Makwai from the Monami. And I don't know why, but Makwai kind of reminds me of Mogwai from the movie Gremlins. Uh, Pia Isu, or Isa from Shoshone. Uh, Ruguru from Metis. And Tivachi from the Chemahuvi tribe. And Ruguru is kind of something we've kind of mentioned here on Paratruth Radio because Ruguru is kind of a sort of a werewolf type creature but it's more of a spiritual creature rather than the physical creature uh, so it's interesting that they they brought it up in this folklore here um, the different legends that are, are a part of Native American folklore is uh, Winnebojo and the wolves uh, of Glooskop's birth and his brother the wolf uh, the wolf, the fox, the bobcat, and the cougar. Raccoon, wolf, uh, raccoon and wolf folk tales. Uh, fox tricks wolf. And <clears throat> it kind of goes on and on. Uh, but it's kind of cool to just look at the different titles. Um, I, did you come across any actual stories for the wolf at all? Yeah, I did. So uh, I actually have two of them. Uh, give me a moment. I've got so many links open right now. <laughs> trying to find which one I need. It was kind of crazy. So one story that I have that 
includes a wolf is one in which the wolf is actually being tricked. Uh, and as a result, it tells a story of how the red bird or the cardinal got its color, uh, which I thought was really interesting. So the story goes, <clears throat> and this is per the Northern Cherokee uh, nation. So a raccoon passing a wolf one day made several insulting remarks until at last the wolf became angry and turned and chased him. The raccoon ran his best and managed to reach a tree by the riverside before the wolf came up. He climbed the tree and stretched out on a limb overhanging the water. When the wolf arrived, he saw the reflection in the water and thinking it was the raccoon, he jumped at it and was nearly drowned before he could scramble out again, all wet and dripping. He lay down on the bank to dry and fell asleep. And while he was sleeping, the raccoon came down the tree and plastered his eyes with dung. When the wolf awoke, he found he could not open his eyes and began to whine. Along came a little brown bird through the bushes and heard the wolf crying and asked what was the matter. The wolf told his story and said, if you will get my eyes open, I will show you where to find some nice red paint to paint yourself. All right, said brown bird. So he pecked at the wolf's eyes until he got off all the plaster. Then the wolf took him to a rock that had streaks of bright red paint running through it, and the little bird painted himself with it, and has ever since been a red bird. And of course, that's just one of many stories. The other one is probably the most famous story, and that is the story of two wolves, which I'm sure you've read yourself probably multiple times, I'd imagine. Uh, and two wolves goes like this, and this is more of a, uh, a teaching type of story. So an old Cherokee chief says, a fight is going on inside me. He said to the boy, it is a terrible fight and it is, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger. Envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, self-doubt, and ego. The other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going, on, is going on inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the old chief simply replied, the one you feed. This goes back, I think, to the beginning when I said each of these characters tend to represent two sides of a coin. One often being good, the other often being bad. Uh, and this, of course, I think is the story that represents that the best. Uh, and, it, you know, I think it, the other thing to consider about the wolf is in, in terms of how Native American culture treat, treats it, uh, back when they would go to battle, many Native American tribes, not all of them, but there were many that would actually don wolf pelts uh, or they would wear uh, wolf skins over their shoulders or on their head. And they believe that by wearing these pelts, uh, they were then 
endowed with the power, strength, speed, and wisdom of the wolf in battle, and that he would protect them and give them uh, the fighting chance that they needed to overcome their enemy. Uh, so there was a lot of spirituality within all of these animals and believing that by simply wearing one, you could become one in a sense. And that of course, translated into some of these skinwalker stories that we've talked about in the past, uh, various werewolf type things, or even the Wendigo. Uh, so it, there, there's a lot of little intricate details behind many of these myths that slowly or in some way transform into more of a uh, horrifying type of tale um, that we'll be getting into soon. But those are my two stories. One thing I did want to mention for the wolf, which I thought was kind of fun, because uh, I learned how to say wolf in Cherokee. And the Cherokee word for wolf is waya. So there you go. thought it was cool. Uh, one other story I'm going to share here uh, is actually how the raven brought light to the world, because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, so at the time that this story really takes place, uh, the world was dark. It was inky, pitchy, all-consuming dark, uh, blacker than a thousand stormy winter midnights, blacker than anything anywhere has been since. Uh, now, the reason for all this blackness has to do with an old man in a house by the river who had a box, which contained a box, which contained a box, which contained an infinite number of boxes, each nestled in a box slightly larger than itself, until finally there was a box so small, all it could contain was all the light in the universe. Uh, this little section that I just read here is actually from the, uh, the American Museum of Natural History. And that's where I'm going to pull the story from as well. So in the story, the old man hides the light because he's afraid to see whether or not his daughter is ugly. In a ploy to steal the light, Raven shrinks himself to become a hemlock needle in a basket of drinking water so that the daughter swallows him. Soon, Raven is reborn from her as a raven slash human child. The old man accepts him as a grandson, and soon Raven begins begging that he open the boxes one after another, each time pleading and crying until the old man yields. When the old man finally opens the box containing the light, Raven grabs it and flies out of the house, causing light to spread throughout the world and revealing that the old man's daughter is as beautiful as the fronds of a hemlock tree. Now, as Raven flies away, Eagle sees him and tries to steal the light, causing Raven to drop some of it, which became the moon and the stars. And that particular story actually uh, is related to or very similar to other stories as well. So Raven um, was actually Coyote's analog for the Northwest Coast Indians. Um, or I'm sorry, Northwest Coast Indians was Raven. My apologies. Um, and then the Northeast and Southeast Indians uh, were par paralleled by the Great Hare or Master Rabbit, whose adventures became a supplementary source uh, for the Br'er Rabbit's folk, tale, uh, folk tales of Southern African Americans. 
So as I said, like many of these tribes, they kind of share some of these stories, but they tend to differ in terms of what the or what the uh, yeah what the creature or the animal is uh, right hello and welcome to novel conversations a podcast about the world's greatest stories i'm your host frank lavallo and for each episode of novel conversations i talk to two readers about one book and together we summarize the story for you we introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. So interesting stuff. So <clears throat> I think uh, we'll get into some some monsters here, but uh, we'll take a quick break, folks. You've listened to, been listening to Paratruth Radio right here on New Lantern Media. We will be right back right after this. Hi, I'm Brooke Haley Martin. And I'm Erin Skrback. And we have a little web series called Audition, Audition Life. Life. Inspired by true events, our series focuses on all the things that could potentially go wrong in an audition. And trust me, what can go wrong will. You can watch the series by going on www.auditionlifetheseries.com or by following us on the Instagram handle at auditionlifetheseries. Break, Break a leg! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And I think it's time to get scary. <laughs> well, the first two that, that I came across, you kind of already mentioned, and, and we've kind of talked about in the in the past, uh, the Wendigo. Uh, the Wendigo is a, a cannibalistic monster, uh, a lot of times depicted to be... <clears throat> kind of covered in ice uh other legends don't do that um but it's referred to as the man beast uh a lot of times the the depiction of wendigo shows kind of like a uh deer skull on the top of the the head and kind of very monster-esque skinny uh type creature um and we've kind of brought that up in our uh, episode about the lost colony of Roanoke, about right. possibly there was a a Wendigo that took out the, and that's why we really don't know what happened to the Roanoke colony. Um, but the the <clears throat> depiction is usually very similar, no matter where you kind of look for for the Wendigo, um, and always the same, always a man eater. Uh, a lot of times it has to do with a uh, a witch doctor or, or medicine person uh, who has summoned a, I guess, dark spirit to, to infest a, a human vessel and it turns into the Wendigo. Uh, there have been other types of legends, but that's kind of a common one. Um, any any uh, comments or thoughts about the the Wendigo? Um, 
Not so much. Not, not so much. I mean, this is, as you said, this is something that we've uh, talked about multiple times on the show. Um, one thing I do want to mention, and I, I know we've mentioned it in the past as well, is in regard to the Roanoke colony and how it could have been a Wendigo possibly that had uh, wiped it out. Uh, we did also mention that there is a legend of werewolves in the Roanoke area the current day mm-hmm. and that it's possible that maybe that particular legend stems all the way back to the Roanoke colony as well and that's what happened to them so maybe not so much one cryptid but a different one uh wendigo is something that is very much feared by native americans and i mm-hmm. think anyone who knows the story of the wendigo is just feared by people in general uh whether you're native american or not uh, it's right. really a frightening creature. There's tales of this horrid screeching scream like sound that it does. Um, and the fact that it's just constantly hungry and constantly consuming uh, flesh, you know, it needs flesh animals, humans. Uh, you know, the story does tell of a man that became of the Wendigo. Uh, and that was a person who, a man who was a can became a cannibal and ate his entire family. Uh, and that's where one of the stories originated from for the Wendigo. So the thought that something like that could happen, uh, that maybe there is some sort of spirit possession that could be happening there, or whether it's just uh, the Native American uh, way of trying to tell the tale of maybe someone with a mental disorder uh, or some type of weird disorder in which they wanted to eat human flesh. Um, you know, we still do that to this day actually come up with these stories as to why somebody did something. Uh, right. So, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's a horrifying tale. And, you know, I, I think the deeper you look into it, the more scary it really becomes. Right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the next one that I came across is the skinwalkers. Again, we've kind of touched base on the skinwalkers. I don't know if we've ever done a full uh, episode on skinwalkers, but most people in the the uh, paranormal community know about Skinwalker Ranch, uh, where there's been multiple sightings of uh, different large creatures, usually wolf in nature, um, and, and people will say that they first saw a, a man there, and then a, a wolf appears in its in that person's. Uh, where the person was. And this also has to kind of do with, uh, black magic. Uh, um, again, uh, a, uh, <clears throat> wizard, if you will, of, of folklore of native Americans, uh, turns themselves into an animal. A lot of times they're usually wearing the hide of what, whatever animal they prefer to change into. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of a, common legend in the Navajo tribes, uh, Pueblo, Apache, and the Hopi as well. So, again, we have kind of talked about this, and and it kind of goes along the lines of what you think of when you think of a a were-creature, whether that's werewolf, uh, there are people that believe in, you know, were-bear, were-whatever creature you can think of. Um, so I, I think that it's interesting, again, something that kind of transcends cultures, uh, with, with 
changing from human to beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, one thing about skinwalkers, which is even more so actually than the Wendigo, uh, the skinwalker is very taboo, uh, especially in uh, various tribes, like the Navajo culture. You know, they will not talk about it. They do not want to talk about this. The simple mention of a skinwalker can bring its presence. It can, it can almost uh, reach out and contact it by simply saying skinwalker. Uh, so you'll find that many tribesmen and tribeswomen uh, who especially live within like the New Mexico area, uh, Nevada, that kind of space, uh, will do various rituals to try to ward off the skinwalker, uh, to try to cleanse the air and the soul uh, in order to keep these skinwalkers from from appearing. Uh, there is some belief that skinwalkers are interdimensional to some extent. Uh, I don't mean necessarily that they're coming from space, but that they can travel through one um, one plane of existence into another. So they're more spiritual uh, as opposed to simply a man that can shapeshift, uh, although both stories exist and could be one in the same even. It just depends, again, on which tribe the story is coming from uh, and how that particular character is represented for that tribe. Right. The So the next creature I came across, um, I'm not sure if you saw anything on this or not, is called the uh, Kalupalik. Uh, it's in, from the Inuit tribes of Alaska, Canada, and Greenland. Um, the, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Kalupalik is a actually a sea monster. Uh, most commonly, it, it is represented as a uh, kind of looking like a humanoid female. Um, but they are un- inhabit un- underneath the hard ice and deep in the frigid waters of the Arctic regions. Uh, <clears throat> uh, they are well-known mythical creatures of the Inuit, like I said, uh, where they typically ha- look half-human uh, with elongated fingernails and green slimy skin. Most terrifying about this creature is it tends to like to uh, lure unsuspecting children into the icy depth uh, where they eat humans. Uh, again, another human eater creature. Um, they do kind of have a sirens aspect to them where they use singing to lure their victims to their death. Um, So yeah, this one was kind of interesting because of the fact that it kind of, you kind of get a uh, mermaid slash siren feel to it, uh, along with a a very horrific aspect where they're killing young children. Um, yeah. What are kind of some of your thoughts on on that? Uh. You know, it's interesting, and I and I'd like to know whether these like a tale like uh, like this was something that was created before 
before white man came to the Americas or after, uh, just because of the, the, the relation to sirens and how they sing. Uh, again, it's really interesting how various cultures throughout the entire world uh, have very similar uh, stories in some way. And, you know, this is something that has been mentioned, I think, by many of our guests uh, who especially uh, come on to talk about extraterrestrial life uh, or mm-hmm. whatever the old aliens were or the old gods. And it was this idea that there were these old gods or aliens that would visit various peoples uh, throughout the world and tell the same story in different ways to each one. And so we had this spreading of of the stories. The other possibility is uh, the idea of the Tower of Babel. And this is something taken from the Bible in which a, a tribe tried to build a tower stretching to the heavens and God didn't like it. Uh, so he switched up all their languages so that they couldn't understand each other. And then he just, however he did it, pushed everyone to the outskirts of the earth and spread them around the globe. Uh, and if any part of that is true, then it could be very well that these stories were all originated in one spot, but then spread almost miraculously when the people's separated and then the story slowly changed as the cultures uh, continued to develop over the years and centuries and uh, so on and so forth so <clears throat> i don't know it, that's a really it's a really interesting tale um and it's weird it's just weird that there's so many similarities actually right yeah uh next one that i came across is the utina which is a horned serpent um <clears throat> I, th- I thought this one was kind of fascinating just because there are actually horned serpents throughout the world. Um, very rare, but you, you do see them. But uh, the interesting thing about it is uh, the the legend about the first Utina. Uh, according to the Cherokee legends of this Native American monster, uh, the Utina was made long ago when the sun sent a sickness down to kill the people on Earth. A man was changed into a horned snake and sent to kill the sun. He failed, but the rattlesnake tried next and succeeded. The Utina was so jealous and angry about his failure that all the people were afraid of him, so they took him away from the tribe and hid him. In other tales, these horned serpents are born out of envy and anger and represent the darkness of the underworld. Legend has it that the Utina lives in isolated dark places like gorges, caves, and lonely passes in the high mountains. Generations of Cherokee passed on the knowledge of possible Utina dwellings so members of the tribe could avoid these dangerous spots. So another one where it's a great legend, but uh, a lot of times these legends are made up to try and help with keeping the safety of a tribe. Uh, did they see these creatures? I don't know, but uh, some of the other stuff that I came across for this one is uh, these creatures are are usually either serpents or kind of dragon-like, um, kind of like Quetzalcoatl, which is the feathered serpent god of uh, Native American folklore in Central America, um, <clears throat> and the Ogopogo which is the the serpent uh, in Canada, uh, the kind of similar to Nessie in a sense. So 
that one was kind of cool. Um, did you come across any creatures in your research? Uh, yeah, I did come across a few, and I'm sure we probably took them more or less in the same place. Uh, I think when you look up anything regarding cryptids, uh, with Native American folklore, you, you're represented with only a few options of websites right. uh, or books that you can choose from. Uh, but one that I thought was really fun and interesting uh, was one called the, I think it's the Tataklea, which is the giant owl witches of Native mm-hmm. American uh, folklore. So the owl, of course, holds significant meaning in Native American cultures, and many tribes have their own myths related to these mysterious nocturnal birds. In fact, quick side note here, when I was living in Atlanta, it was the first time I think I've, maybe not the first time, but it was the first time I've seen an owl up close, and it was the most mysterious thing ever that I've ever seen. Uh, because, you know, owls, they tend to hide. You always hear them hooting out there somewhere in the woods. And that's what this owl was doing. I couldn't find him anywhere. And it was dusk. So there was plenty of sunlight at the time when I was hearing him. But as I went inside, it got just dark enough where all you could see were silhouettes of stuff outside. The silhouette of the trees, bushes, this and that. But you couldn't see any details. And I walk into the kitchen and I turn on the faucet and I look outside. And there's this owl probably about 30 feet from the window. It was the biggest bird that i've ever seen standing on the ground uh and i've seen a lot of hawks around here uh but it was just so weird that the mist this mystical nature of it that is represented in all these stories that we've heard of uh was showing itself right there because i could see him but i couldn't see him it was just a silhouette no details anyway side note i just thought it was really cool uh found it quite exciting anyway (laughs) The Yakama, uh, who live at the border between what is now Washington and Oregon states, say that the Tata Klea were giant owl witches who once roamed the plains at night looking for people to devour. They most enjoyed feasting on children and could mimic the languages of tribes to lure their victims. Now, as Yakama... Uh, Tribe member William Charlie told American Farmer in 1918, uh, these people, the owl witches, were taller and larger than the common human. They ate every bad thing known, such as frogs, lizards, snakes, and other things that Indians do not eat. They talked the Indian language and in that way might fool the Indians. There were five of them, all sisters, but at the last creation, They came up only in California. Two were seen there. There were women, tall, tall women, uh, big, who lived in a cave. Now, it is said that these Native American monsters were eventually wiped out and their cave dwelling was blown up, uh, though it's not quite clear how that fateful mission was accomplished. According to this tradition, though, the owls that we see at night originated from the eye of one of the Tatakliga sisters who drowned during the last battle. Now, while the Yakama tribe speaks of the Tatakliga, uh, other indigenous cultures have their own mythologies linked to the owl as well. In, uh, I think it's Choctaw. Is that how? Uh, Choc- yeah, Choc- I, Choc- that sounds right. Choc- 
something like that, right? Uh, yeah. Apologize if I'm wrong, but uh, in Choctaw mythology, the owl deity is known as the Eshkatini or the horned owl, which is believed to hunt men and other prey at night. Its blood-curdling screeches were an omen of sudden death, which is very similar to the woman in white or the banshee, especially the banshee in Irish folklore. Um, also in the tradition of this Seminole, uh, located in present-day Florida, there are stikini, which are essentially owl beasts that can shift between animal and human form. It is believed that their shape-shifting abilities come from vomiting out their own souls, blood, and internal organs, which they hang up high in the treetops so they cannot be reached by any man or animal. Similar to how the skinwalkers are regarded in Navajo culture, the stikini is considered so terrifying that it is taboo to speak aloud of these monsters among the Seminole as it could attract their presence. Uh, there's also among the tribes further south near Mexico, uh, a legend of the La, I think it's the La Lechuza or La Lacuza, uh, a massive owl-human hybrid with the face of older women. Uh, they're believed to be shape-shifting witches as well. And their favorite meal of course, as you've guessed it, if you haven't noticed with many of these monsters in Native American <laughs> culture for some reason, yeah. they just like small children to eat. Uh, so, which is also really interesting because then you have to wonder like some of these stories like Grimm's fairy tales, you know, when you think about mm. uh, Hansel and Gretel and that story of the witch eating children, uh, right. witches for some reason have often been, rega been regarded as these people who eat children. Even if you look at Hocus Pocus, you know, the, the book yep. and the movie, uh, again, represent, uh, not represented, but told the story of witches who would consume the souls or the life essence of children uh, in order to appear younger and to sustain them. So I don't, I'd love, maybe one of these days we'll check out the origin of the folklore behind witches and see where that actually came to be uh, and, and whether or not. Or why. Real, yeah. And why, you know, so maybe that's something we'll do for a future episode. We'll have to go to Salem and actually see what type of uh, folklore they have there on that. Yes. So did you come across the uh, Canon Sitantis? <laughs> I did, and uh, it's a little weird, right? It's horrifying. <laughs> 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 so i'll have you go ahead and read through what the what they are okay so as justin's look i'm just gonna put it this way uh the that's the only time i'm gonna say the word because i'm gonna <laughs> butcher it every time so for now on from here forward we'll just call it the flying head monster uh, this is a creature of, of, uh, of the Iroquois. Now, among the most ancient Native American myths are the tales that come from Iroquois. And it's a confederacy tr of tribes who inhabited the northeastern part of North America. Uh, the Iroquois Union formed so long ago that historians have no idea exactly when it happened. Now... <clears throat> they have their own native 
tongue uh, or who in their own, sorry. They have the confederacy who in their native tongue call themselves the Hoden, 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 Sony. We're getting there, folks. <laughs> I always, I always get a little like, you know, you, when, it's like in school when you know the teacher's about to count on or call on you to read something and you have to sit there and read it over and over so you don't embarrass yourself. Uh, these words, whenever we talk about Native American stuff, the words are so difficult. Uh, that, Swedish, all of it. It's also yeah. <laughs> uh Anyway, it was the, this confederacy was made up of six tribes. It was the Cuyahoga, uh, the Mohawk, the Oneida, the Onondaga, the Seneca and the Tuscarora peoples. As they shared resources as a united front, these tribes also shared many stories. And one of those most terrifying legends uh, of these peoples was the myth of the flying head monster. Uh, which, by the way, the image of this thing is just horrifying. Yeah. Now, the flying heads were exactly just that the disembodied heads with there were disembodied heads with fiery eyes and a long tangled hair these heads floated through the air and haunted and hunted for humans to eat now because the Iroquois culture came from so long ago the exact origin of the flying head monsters are also lost to time there are several variations and stories of how these cannibalistic flying heads came to be though uh, in some iterations of the Native American folklore, the flying head monsters resulted from a violent murder in which the victims' dismembered heads came back to life and grew to enormous size so it could seek vengeance for its tragic death. Now, other traditions believe that they were simply primordial monsters with the uncontrollable urge to feast on human flesh. But perhaps the most poignant version uh, of this Native American legend is the one which says that the flying head monster came from the brutal betrayal within an unknown tribe that was once occupied, uh, which was that was once occupied the t the uh, territory of Sacandaga Lake in what is now present day New York. So the story goes that a terrible famine befell the tribe, prompting the young men of the group to propose that the tribe travel to look for a new home. This idea was shot down by the elders who believed that the famine was harsh or that the famine and harsh winter were a curse put upon them by the master of life and it was best to stay put. The elders warned the curse would follow the tribe wherever they went. The dis disagreement broke into conflict and the young men murdered their elders by decapitating them and throwing their dismembered heads into the lake. Now, unbeknownst to the young warriors, the elders' heads came back to life. The heads merged into a single giant floating head with wings and talons, and it was covered in black hair. The monster's flying head killed the young men, as well as the rest of the tribe. Uh, you know, it's it's a really weird story. <laughs> like of all, I think honestly, of all the cryptids that we've talked about over the years, a flying head is probably one that uh takes you know top five for weird ones and we've <laughs> talked about something i can't remember the name of it there was another monster that we've actually talked about a few years ago 
uh, that was a flying head with bat wings. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that I believe was had, in Asian. I think folklore? yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was Asian Asian folklore. Um, so there again is a, somewhat of a similarity between two nations that are mm-hmm. literally on two opposite sides of the world. Uh, so how again these have come to be? I mean. I guess it goes to the one thing that I think there's a common saying these days that is uh, that no thought is original, no idea is original. Uh, so it's very possible that these two peoples on two separate sides of the world just both came up with the same story or similar stories anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that, you know, uh, who knows? Yeah. So there was one more in this list and, I think it's kind of similar to all the the other ones that we've kind of talked about, uh, and that's the uh, Scadagmatic uh, Ghost Witch Monster, uh, <clears throat> which is appear in myths and cultures all around the world, including Native American folklore. Uh, the Ghost Witch, these monsters are mentioned in Legends of the Wabanaki, a confederacy of tribes that occupied the lands of modern-day Maine. And it, that is kind of ironic because uh, very close to Salem, Massachusetts, uh, the Wabanaki, which roughly translates to the people of the Dawnland, still exist today. Uh, they are survived by the four large tribes of Maine, the Maliseet, the Micmac, the Penobscot, and the uh, Passamaquoddy tribes. According to the shared lore of the Wabanaki culture, a ghost witch is said to emerge when an evil sorcerer refuses to stay dead. The undead magician comes alive again at night, (coughs) taking the shape of a ball of light. They stalk the open woods for unsuspecting victims to eat, as the only way to maintain their immortality is to feed on the blood and flesh of humans. Uh, One story about the ghost witch was obtained from an uh, <coughs> Abenaki teenager recounted the gruesome tale of a native man and his wife that stumbled upon the grave of a dead magician. According to this Native American legend, the couple took shelter in the grove where a dead magician had been buried. The wife, frightful at the sight of the burial high above the trees, insisted they camp somewhere else. The husband refused and went to sleep. By dawn, after listening to a strange gnawing sound that persisted all night. The woman went to wake up her husband, only to find that his left side had been gnawed away and his heart was gone. She sought help at a nearby village, <coughs> excuse me, uh, where the residents did not believe her at first. But when they took the dead magician's remains down from the tree, they found traces of blood on the corpse's face. Despite their undead condition, the ghost witches allegedly still retain their sorcery, uh, can put curses on humans with uh, their powerful magic, and the old native folklore of the ghost witch also alleges that some humans are more vulnerable to these ghost witches than others. So another really interesting one, and as Eric said, very common aspect of, of Native American uh, scary creatures is human uh, uh, consumption. And it's interesting because 
some of some of them were about children some of them are just say people uh but it's interesting that a lot of these creatures ate human flesh now is that because mm. they were trying to explain an animal attack that they thought was a monster of some kind uh trying to explain a death did they actually see these creatures uh Nobody really knows for sure. We just have the legends. So it's right. kind of interesting. Um, kind of, What's your kind of aspect on that? Do you think it's more so a, a uh, less technological culture trying to explain things? Or do you think they actually saw something that resembled these creatures and, and they just kind of turned them into these monsters that we were, we're talking about now? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think it could be a mix of both. Uh, you know, I think uh, creativity kind of flourishes when you don't have technology to pull your mind away from creative energy that you that humans uh, have. Uh, and I think every human is creative in some way, and they'd be more so if we weren't, you know, sitting on TikTok or <clears throat> just right. or uh, Facebook or you know something else. But with that said, there is one thing that I think is important to note here, and that is that many tribes often uh, participated in various rituals that include smoking and drinking hallucinogens, and that these hallucinogenic hallucinogenic, uh, items uh, may have contributed to many of these stories. These might have been things that they actually did see in a hallucination or in a dream uh, and then they transformed into these myths and this folklore that we now have today. Uh, very revered folklore at that. So, right. but, you know, again, to, to say that they didn't exist in some way, who knows? I mean, it, it's there's always that possibility. Uh, one thing I do want to jump at real quick here regarding the ghost witch, uh, which kind of showed up at the end here, is that, again, it's very interesting because she kind of, uh, has two elements to her that are very similar to other myths. One is that the witch monster has to feed on flesh or blood in particular, uh, as we know, vampires also tend to do. The other right. is that the only known method to be effective on these witches is to kill them with fire, which is, of course, a method that was used in European uh, culture early on. So, yeah. Uh, again, just some interesting little facts there that, again, have this spiderweb effect where they just can, has these connections to other sources outside of the Americas. Right. All right. So any other final thoughts about uh, the American folklore? Well, I think for everybody who who's just especially everyone living in America. Uh, I think it's important that we all take the time to learn more about Native American folklore and Native American tradition, uh, just as not only respect to the peoples that lived here before the melting pot that we are today, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and remember that our land, despite the history, the American history, uh, as we know it, has a history much deeper and much more, um, I, I guess much more ancient 
than what we can possibly mm-hmm. ever really understand. Uh, and that learning that goes back to the narrative of American peoples and learning what they knew back then, you know, what these animals really meant to the tribes that lived here and continue to live here. And I think many of us have a very uh, big soft spot for animals in general. Uh, right. But to remember that like when you look at that crow outside or that raven, you know, we see it as just a bird that's covering the trees or the lawn or who's like flying away as we drive our car down the road. <laughs> uh, but remember that that's associated with the spiritual as a spiritual creature, as a God-like creature to, to some peoples. Uh, and there are very interesting stories that come from them. Uh, so I think it just gives us more of a perspective of what some of these creatures that seem so belittled to us anymore these days uh, have so much more in their own history as well. Uh, and just in the history of the Americas. So yeah, that's it. Couldn't have said better myself, especially about the 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 respect for Native Americans uh, and their culture. Um, I think as a, a people in in the United States, we kind of lose aspects of what history has has done to a lot of different cultures. The Native Americans are included in that. Um, so. Yeah, do a lot of research on on what we've talked about today. Look into Native American folklore. Uh, if you have any tribes that you can become familiar with in your area and just talk to them. Um, I, I honestly think that uh, learning is is something that we've lost in, in our society, and I think we need to get back to touching base with, with things in the past. So I hope all of you guys enjoyed this episode of Paratruth Radio. Uh, keep tuning in to all the great shows on New Lantern Media as well, uh, which is Paratruth Radio, Beyond Reason, uh, Paranormal Heart. Uh, let's talk about it and the Truth Fox. So check out all of those shows, uh, all great shows in their own right. And I, I think that uh, we've got a great community here. So. Until next week, uh, where you will find us, same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. 
a new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for .com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.